The following is a Frank R. Wilson presentation. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it covered. We talk to those from the industry and learn about them and their favorite scores. Welcome to What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So let's take a look at the shelf of CDs and see what we're going to play today. Recognize that music? The favorites of our guest today. He's a graphic and web designer located in New York City. Now, you might be asking, how's he connected to the film industry? Well, since he was a young boy, he had a strong appreciation in, in art for both visual and music. As a result, he founded the Suits of James Bond and uh, the corresponding website in 2010 after years of research. He's ended up creating the ultimate resource for James Bond style and the first catalog of all of 007's outfits. He also has a corresponding podcast uh, along those same themes, and that's called From Tailors with Love. I hope everyone will please join me in welcoming Matt Spazer to the program today. Hi, Matt. Hi, Frank. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I've been uh, been excited to talk to you, not only... Uh, Obviously about the the film music part of it, but but also wanting to learn a little bit more about uh, some things that you've had going on and and uh, learn more about the background of what it is that you do as a as a hobby, uh, but a very very active one I gather. So um, as you probably know, because I think you had mentioned you'd listened to some broadcasts in the past, uh, we always like to start off just to learn a little bit more about our guests. So if you be so kind, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself and. You know, growing up in the formative years and things like that. Yeah, growing up, um, I think music has always been a big part of my life. I've always loved um, music. Probably the, uh, I would, well, I think I started out mostly as a fan of jazz, which came from a television show, most likely. My father had something to do with it, but uh, um, there was a jazz score to a television show that I loved as a little kid. And this, this show is called uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Um, yeah. you, you're familiar with that, are Oh are yeah, especially these days too. It's been uh, been back on the in the limelight lately. Yeah. Well, that show probably got me um, interested in music because he'd feature um, wonderful classical musicians on the show, like uh, Yo-Yo Ma. He featured jazz musicians, like like uh, Wynton Marsalis. But then. I think the, the best jazz in the show came from um, the, his piano accompaniment uh, by Johnny Costa. Mm. And uh, are you familiar with him at all? No. So he's a uh, well, I mean, yeah he was a wonderful jazz pianist, um, very much inspired by by French impressionist music, you know by uh, Ravel and Debussy. 
and and uh, I think because of him, I'm, those are two of my favorite composers. And uh, a lot of this, I think, probably came into... I mean, I got into film music at some point when I was quite young as well. So um, I'd probably say Star Wars, I think, is what mostly got me into film music. You and probably a couple of million other people, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that really got me into film music. And then later it got me into classical music. So um, it's all one big journey. And uh, I've always done a lot of music uh, in my life. In high school, I uh, well, let's see. When I was in elementary school, I started out taking piano lessons. Then a few years later, I started playing violin. I played uh, drum set. I played classical percussion. My goodness, I, Matt, you're 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 answering all the questions that I was going to ask you during the course of the program with this <laughs> one. My goodness, I tell you, hold back a little bit, and we'll. We'll get yeah. into some of those other so, things here in a moment because that's that's fascinating. I, yeah. I am curious that uh, having decided that you know one of the one of the loves that you had was for film music at such an early age, and I've asked this of other guests too. Did did you ever feel like an outcast because you were the only kid that that liked this weird stuff that they play in movies and you weren't listening to I don't know ZZ Top or Led Zeppelin or Elton John <laughs> or whatever? You know, I mean, did you ever feel like a little bit of an outsider? Yeah, I, I probably did. I, I'm not exactly sure, but you know, film music, I think, is actually something that, that all my friends could appreciate on some level, because they, they liked the films. I mean, my friends liked Star Wars. They liked James Bond. Mm-hmm. And in liking those things, you, you do have, you know, have some kind of appreciation for the music that goes along with it. Well, now, it's interesting. When I'm uh, looking at your list... Um, first one I was going to play isn't anywhere close to Star Wars. Uh, I'm talking about a, a cue from uh, the film North by Northwest by Bernard Herrmann. Uh, tell us a little bit, because that's a goodness, that's going back to 1959. What uh, what was it that uh, has you include that particular cue on your list of favorites? Uh, this cue, like many of my favorites, was something that struck me the first time I heard it. Most of these cues I first heard through um, the films. And uh, so I, I was watching this film, probably uh, the first time I watched it, I was in high school. A- and uh, this, the, the music throughout the film was uh, one of my favorite things about this film. Mm. You know, the, uh, the, 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 the syncopated rhythms, it, it was just, it really, it really got me interested. In, uh, and, and I think uh, this music, which... Somewhat brings you know brings back the original you know, opening theme for from the film. It uh, I th- I think it it just gets more exciting every time that this theme comes back, and uh, hearing it at the climax of the film just just made made the film even more enjoyable. And if I recalled, hasn't there been speculation that there was, I mean not a lot, but that there was some inspiration uh, for the uh, early James Bond films from North by Northwest? Wasn't oh. it that? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, the, the, there's this the scene in For Much Less Love at the, the climax of that film with the helicopter. Yeah. That's that's clearly modeled after the uh, the crop duster plane in North by Northwest. Okay. So, and I'm wondering if the music is kind of uh, did it did it strike you as anything kind of similar to what the what the, the Bond sound would be several years later? Or? No, I I don't think it did strike me in a Bond way. It's it's not. I mean, I guess the rhythms do um, have somewhat of a jazzy type of feel, even though it's not really any j- 
jazz. I mm-hmm. mean, so, but but the early Bonds definitely were, were very jazzy in, in a lot sure. of their music. But this one, this definitely had a more of a more, has a more classical feel. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's hear it for ourselves. This is from the 1959 film North by Northwest, and the music is written by Bernard Herrmann. kind of mentioned a little bit about uh, when you started to get interested in film music. I, I recall that you mentioned the, that Star Wars is kind of what 
got you started on that. I, I've heard that film music almost kind of uh, experienced a renaissance after Star Wars was released and that it that people started to buy soundtrack albums again. I mean, they always were buying them, but it just it really picked up in popularity that that film really uh, jump-started things. What were, what were some of the other things that you were listening to at that point uh, when you were just starting to take an interest in it? So th- this was the 90s. Okay. Um, I listened to probably a lot of the same music that my dad listened to, which which was jazz. Now, he didn't listen to a lot of jazz. He listened to some, and that's the music that most interested me. And mm-hmm. that's, I still have the same interest or even greater interest in it now than I did at the time. Any particular? I mean, because there's actually, I think, several genres within jazz. Is there a certain style of it, or are you like all the different styles of, of jazz? I, I, I pretty much like all the different styles. At that time, more of like the fusion style of jazz. Mm-hmm. But now, I mean, I like everything. I mean, I like, I like bebop. I, I, like, I like a lot of modal jazz. I like um, I mean, hard bop, post bop. Um, you know, um, wow, you're. I mean, I mean, like free, free jazz. I love free jazz too. Yeah. And it's interesting too how that is really uniquely American, isn't it? Oh yes. Uh, unlike a lot of other forms of music, you can't necessarily claim to be born in America, but certainly jazz can be. So, yeah, I had mentioned earlier too that I again I noticed that you had reached back into the catalog into some of the earlier films and this next cue is an example of that um from the movie spartacus which gets talked about a lot and has certainly been mentioned on this program we had a a prior guest who uh, likes to say he thinks it might be the absolute best score of all time this is written by alex north uh what's your thinking in uh, including it amongst your favorites because apparently it's on a lot of people's favorites list so I was unfamiliar with this film until last year. I first watched it last year. It's um, one of my wife's favorite films, and she wanted to share it with me. Hmm. Um, so, and I like classic film a lot. It's not like the oldest film. It's from 1960, which to me still doesn't actually feel all that old because yeah. it's still quite a few decades, you know, after the silent era. So, uh, but I, I think when I, I first saw this film, it had this beautiful overture. This it really got me going. Mm. And, and then the, the opening titles also, they just really continued to get me going with this film. And hearing this music really um, just really got me so excited for the film. It's a very long film, but I wanted just to, I was most excited for this film just for the music. I, I only think I had, it, it, I mean, it's one of the most impressive film scores I'd ever heard. You know, shame on me, because I still have not seen it or heard it. And you've just about convinced me I need to change that. And and you brought up something I always also thought was interesting. It's um, it's one of the fun things about some of the movies that were made earlier in the history of film is uh, overtures. I miss that. Oh, yeah. You very rarely see it anymore, I think. I can't even think of the last one that maybe had a legitimate overture before the movie started but uh, that that that's that really helps set the mood doesn't it it does and i think so this i think what really got me with this music is it has a very american sound it's um hmm. the uh there it, it's it's very it's very much following what had been going on in american classical music of the past few decades of that time so it's not 
it I mean it has definitely has also has elements that recall you know ancient Rome, but overall it has a very American sound. Alex North is a very American composer. He he did a lot of jazz as well as that's true. He talked huh? about as very American. Yeah, in fact, a lot of people say that he wrote the quintess, uh, quintessential jazz score for uh, I think it's Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah, that's that's definitely one of the greatest jazz scores, if not the greatest of all time. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's have a listen for ourselves. This is from the 1960 film Spartacus. Uh, the cue is called Goodbye, My Love, My Love, My Life, My Love, uh, incorporating the end title as well. And it's written by Alex North.
I mentioned when you were uh, early on in the program, I said, oh, hold on. You're starting to answer all my questions I was going to have for later on. It's, I'll ask this anyway, even though you've kind of mentioned it, but I, but I was very impressed with what I was hearing. Uh, the question was going to be, are you a musician? And it sounds to me like you are. Yeah, I am definitely a musician. I haven't had any musical training since, you know, since high school. Mm-hmm. But I did learn a lot in high school I, uh, because my, my orchestra teacher, she would teach us some music theory. She would teach us um, all kinds of things about music that went long, you know, well beyond just playing it. And uh, that was probably some of my favorite things is was just learning what makes music you know, what it is. Mm hmm. Yeah, so you're you're a step ahead of the game for me because I, I have no musical training or background at all. I'm a I'm a neophyte when it comes to that, and yet, yet I have a very profound love for it in some ways, and and I and I know what I what I like, but I I sometimes I do find myself frustrated that I can't express why I like it. At least in I can't express it in, in musical terms. That must give you kind of a nice extra advantage that you can listen to something and. And analyze it, I guess, in a way to, to to understand what was going on. Is that is that the case? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, sometimes, and a lot of music that I like, I like music that that challenges what I know about music. Mm. I, that's why I like Alex North so much. Is that he's using these chords and combinations of chords and chord progressions and all kinds of things that I don't expect to hear, and that's what I love about it. Where it's like the complete opposite of Mozart, who who's using exactly what you expect to hear. Okay, yeah, and it, does it because you have that that knowledge and information? Does that ever detract from being able to just sit back and enjoy to listen to something? Are you do you find yourself kind of wanting to understand a little bit more about what they're doing, or can you actually just enjoy it for what it is? Does that make sense what I'm asking? Oh, it definitely makes sense. I'm a little a little both. I I uh, I don't usually just sit back and analyze everything I'm listening to. I might do that. I might try to analyze it more after li- after I've listened to it a number of times. But I can often hear what's going on. I know like what what these composers are doing as I'm listening to it. And uh, that that I don't know if it helps me appreciate it more, but it just helps me follow it better. And uh, I, I just it just I just like being able to understand what's happening. I I always like to know you know what's you know what's making something work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand. Well, it um, for your uh, third choice on your list, again going back to a a, a, a '60s film, uh, you know, or, or classic Thomas Crown Affair from 1968. Uh, Michel Legrand and the cue is called the Boston Wrangler. This was a great score, but uh, I'd like to hear your point of view on uh, why you would include that amongst your your absolute favorites so well like many of the others this was a cue that really uh, struck me the first time i heard it when i first watched this film this cue really got me excited and uh it's 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 a very jazzy sound like a a modern late 60s jazz sound and that um because i like jazz i i've always loved michelle legrand's um music well, except for his uh, "Never Say Never Again" score, which I don't hate. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. A lot of people hate it. I actually I like a lot of the cues in that. It's not one of his best works, which makes me a little sad because I think he's one of the the greatest songwriters. But he still um, 
it, it was it just wasn't probably one of his best. Well, you know, I, the way I think about it, I think if if perhaps if that same music was in a was in a non James Bond movie, I'd probably say, oh, I like this. But, yeah, I like some of it. Because the music was in a James Bond movie, it's oh, I don't know, it doesn't work. You know? The music is fine. I just I just don't know if it's so good for for a James Bond film. But you know, that's a I agree. for another day. Let's um let's have a listen to this. This is and and, and I don't know. If, are people going to instantly recognize it? The, this particular cue, the Boston Wrangler. Yeah, I don't know. Um, okay, because that's all right. well, everyone, I think a lot of people recognize the main song, uh, "Windmills of Your Mind." Sure. But yeah, uh, so. yeah, yeah well, let's have a listen to this. This is again from the 1968 film, "The Thomas Crown Affair." The cue is called the Boston Wrangler, and it's written by Michel Legrand. Continue to look through your list. There was something that kind of jumped out at me. If I'm not mistaken, every single one of your choices is pre-1990. 
which I must admit is a little bit unusual, especially from a young man like yourself. Yeah. Is, I, there, um, is there a reason for that? Do you know? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, every one of these cues is from before I was born. Really? Everyone. One of them comes very close to when I was born. <laughs> but uh, it looks like they're all they're all before I was born. Now, I, I've always loved older films, mm-hmm. but there, I mean, there are probably some newer ones that I like as well. I mean, there's there certainly is film music that I like that was written during my lifetime. Right. But these these older ones touch me. How is and I and I think it has, but I'm just going to get your opinion on it. How has film music changed from pre-1990 to now? What, what do you think has changed, especially as it pertains to your love affair with it? Well, I, would, I wouldn't say it happened. It probably There was a, a big change that happened probably in the uh, after 2000 was we, we've had a lot less melody in film scores. Mm. But I think it's just a lot less creativity overall. Now, we have some reaction. We do have still have some very creative film score composers we you know, we have um i mean i i love alexander De, um, yeah alexander Desplat. right I, lo- I love uh michael giacchino a, we have some really talented film score composers but i i guess um a lot of these you know these things i've heard before i've heard these newer composers and the older ones they just stay with me yeah, I almost find too that a lot of times, not it obviously depends on the type of story, but you know sometimes it's like the music is competing with sound effects, and so you can't hardly hear what the music is anyway. It's a uh, it's drowned out by sound effects and things like that. So that's made it a challenge as well. But I agree with you totally. And it's interesting when you mention melody. Uh, this next cue that you chose is by one of my favorite composers that. Actually, I think did write a lot of melody into his scores. Uh, I'm talking about uh, something from the 1968 film Planet of the Apes. Uh, the Search Continues is the name of the cue, and it's written by the maestro Jerry Goldsmith. Tell us, tell us a little bit about your thinking and in, in including this in your list of favorites. So I, I don't need melody in a film score. Planet of the Apes is actually one of my favorite scores, but it doesn't have a lot of melody. Yeah. At least not a lot of um, memorable sweeping themes that we get mm-hmm. in others. This one, the melody is in short bursts. Um, and I think that what I like about this score is that there's just a lot of texture in it, a lot of creativity with with um, with uh, percussion, with all kinds of um, different sounds. To, to help paint the picture or help tell the story, it's... Yeah, it didn't necessarily need cry out for melody as much as it did for mood or atmosphere. I guess is is that kind of what you're saying? That's part of it, but I don't think of these cues as moody, atmospheric. I because there's a, I mean they are in a sense, but they also there's a lot going on with this music. It's not just you know pads in the background that we hear in a lot of modern films. It's not just repeating percussive patterns. There's a lot of variation and there's there's a lot to follow i think with just what what goldsmith is doing here now i love his melodies but this score is one that's that's really stuck with me and and i think that's your your musical training is coming through on something like that because you can hear it 
and appreciate it for what it is more so than I can because I just don't I don't I don't understand the mechanics my head. It's, it's, this is great conversation. But let's but, uh, well, it's oh, not the mecha- well, I was gonna say it's not the mechanics behind it that that interested me though because I mean I understand it now but when I first heard this um, long long time ago the, the sounds really got me and there's there's a lot of there, there, I kind of hear melody in, in everything in this score just not in a very traditional sense yeah well let's uh, let's hear it for ourselves from this particular cue the cue is called the search continues it's from the film Planet of the Apes. And it's written by Jerry Goldsmith.
one of the things that uh, you and I had talked about prior to uh, recording this program today was how important film music was to you and uh, and into your life. Uh, a lot of us like to use the phrase, you know, the soundtrack of my life. Uh, I got the impression from uh, learning up about you that uh, there have been certain times in your life when you incorporated film music into parts of your life. You, you want to maybe share a couple of examples of that? Sure. You know, when I probably the, one of the first things I really did a lot with film music was in high school, and I arranged a suite of music from The Empire Strikes Back for my high school orchestra to play. I, I got to conduct it. Oh, wow. So, so I worked with my orchestra teacher on arranging this. She, uh, I expressed an interest in doing this, and she taught me a lot about how to uh, arrange music, um, taught me how to use the different voices in the orchestra, what to do with them, but also just being able to play in my uh, orchestra taught me a lot of because I, I knew how to read music, I knew what all these different symbols meant, I knew how to um, kind of you know how to tell an orchestra what to do. So, but my high school orchestra was primarily strings with um, I think maybe uh, two horns and two woodwinds. So mm. I, so Star Wars obviously is a very brass heavy um, score. So I had to uh, figure out how to get this music into um, you know, fitting in with with uh, the instruments that I had to work with. I bet that was fascinating, and and you. Oh, the thing I love hearing so much is you got to conduct them. I mean, that's that's a bucket list thing for me. I know we'll probably absolutely there's no way it can come true, but oh, I would just love to be able to conduct a film score. You know, maybe not the whole thing, obviously, but even just <laughs> to have a chance at one or two cues and and conduct would have been a, a dream come true. I, it's not as easy as it looks, though, is it? Oh no, it's very difficult, especially when you have an orchestra of high school students to get them to follow you. <laughs> And I wonder sometimes if, if people who aren't musicians realize, I mean, it's tough enough for a, you know, a band of five guys to to be in sync and in rhythm with one another. Try try getting in sync, you know, 80, 90, 100 musicians. Uh, you know, it's, that's, it's actually quite amazing. Yeah, because I had about 50 or about 50 or 60 people I had to conduct. So that's quite a lot of people. The problem is, is that they just tend to slow down, and you have to get them to, to stay at the right tempo. You, you didn't have a, they didn't have a click track ringing in their ear or anything like that, right? So. Nope. Wow. No, but I have done more with um, arranging as well. Uh, yeah, you mean uh, uh, other film other pieces? Other films, yes. Oh, okay. So more recently, so um, I got married last year, and I wanted um, a lot of this, a lot of my favorite music to be played at my wedding. We, we hired a, a string quartet. Oh, wow. So one of the things I did, I, I wanted some John Barry music. And mm -hmm. string quartets, uh, I'd say most of John Barry's music can uh, be easily adapted to a string quartet. Mm -hmm. So I, I chose two of my favorite James Bond songs. Um, and one of them is, is probably one of my wife's favorite James Bond songs. And that's how I, could, I was able to convince her to get this in the wedding. <laughs> so so I, I arranged um, the theme to to you only live twice and mm, I beautiful. and I arranged we have all the time in the world which is ah. a, a classic wedding song now right. well, at least for Bond fans it's a classic wedding song yeah yeah I added it mine too so wonderful so I got and, to arrange that I wanted more I wanted the uh, 
Another song I thought would be perfect for a wedding was uh, John Williams' uh, Throne Room from Star Wars. Hmm. But my, my wife uh, nixed that one. <laughs> I, I, I was able to find another piece that inspired John Williams in that setting, to, and I used that instead. But you arranged all those for the, for the quartet. I arranged all those pieces, yes. Wow, that's great. That's great. I mean, it's one thing. I mean, like, like you know, all I did was record a few things off an album and put it on a cassette, and then someone put the cassette in the machine. I mean, of course, we're talking ancient history years ago before the earth cooled. But um, uh, for you to be so personally in, in invested and involved in it, I'm sure it makes it even all the more special. It was very special. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into a, a particular cue that is certainly – it's certainly special to you. It's on your list, but it's uh, it's very special to me too because I think if I had a list, it would it could very well be on there. We're talking about the uh, the 1968 film called The Lion in Winter. Uh, the cue is called Eleanor's Arrival, and it's written by, as many of my listeners will know, my favorite composer John Barry. Now you know you have so much to choose from uh, from his catalog as well as a lot of these other composers on it, but but why this particular cue? Yeah, I I. I'm probably familiar with about 90% of John Barry's overall catalog, mm-hmm. so, but I chose this one. I remember when I first saw the film, I, I, I went to, to seek out this film because of the John Barry score. I hadn't heard the score. I wanted to watch this film because I knew John Barry scored it. Mm-hmm. And this cue just, it, 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 uh, it really impressed me when it came on. And then, uh, this is uh, Lion and Winter is one of the first films I watched with uh, my wife when I first met her. Mm. I, I wanted to share this film with her because she likes historical films. And this cue also really impressed her. When this cue came on the film, she was taken back by it. She she loved it. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, magical, isn't it? Especially with yeah. the images and those sorts of things. It, it, um, it shows the... Some of the amazing things that composers can do, and certainly in his case, I mean, here's a guy who was, you know, arranging some kind of a big brassy big band piece like the James Bond theme, and then writes something with a chorus singing Latin that is, you know, very traditional kind of choral music. I mean, that's oh yeah, it's quite a range there. So yeah, let's, uh, let's have a listen to this. This again from the '68 film *The Line in Winter*. It's called *Eleanor's Arrival*, and it's written by John Barry.
I want to get into the um, into what you're doing in your abundant free time, of which I'm sure you don't have very much, but you managed to squeeze quite a bit in. Uh, I mentioned in the introduction that you uh, have a website called the it's called the Suits of James Bond, and then you also have a podcast that's along the same lines of the clothing, I guess, and and uh, the fashion and style of James Bond. What on earth got you into that? So James Bond is someone for me who just does everything he does so well, and I wanted to dress better, and I thought James Bond is a great place to look for style inspiration. Mm, this absolutely. happened. So this started when I was when I was a kid. I, I used James Bond to um, I you know, I modeled how I dressed after James Bond because I uh, wanted to dress better. I wanted just to, to do everything better. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just started looking through his clothes more and more, learning more about clothes, and I had amassed quite a bit of knowledge about it. And I had, I had just, I wanted to share it. So I started a website 10 years ago. Yeah, which, and I had no idea that long. I mean, I'm familiar with your with your work now, but uh, ten years ago I wouldn't have been. And it's it's interesting how there seems to be a a growing audience of people that are like minded that are really into the the clothing and the fashion of the character. Um, I, I, I don't know. Was it always this way? I, I don't know. Back in the '80s or the '90s, were there? I don't know if there was anybody that was really doing any work with trying to catalog what was worn and, and who the manufacturer was and the brands and those sorts of things. Now that's like, that's becoming a huge secondary business, isn't it? Yeah. Th- there were people who were very into it ever since James Bond started. Although I think right now we're probably seeing the biggest uh, interest in James Bond style since the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And it just amazes me how, uh, now the brands have started to catch on to the fact that hey, there's some money to be money, money to be made here. Now they're actually releasing lines that are directly connected to the character or to a film. Yeah, there's a lot here going on with that. Yeah, and I, I think this might be the the, the biggest year yet, probably uh, with the, with the release of the new film coming up. But I'm just a, uh, it's been a dream come true to see. Some, especially the way uh, I forgot who was it was an M Peel or someone had done uh, kind of retro going back to you know, a couple of the 60s films and 70s and that sort of thing and trying to recreate as close as possible some of the fashion choices of Bond in those movies and uh, even though it may not you may not find it on your rack today at least they had had some pretty close replicas available it's uh, you know what are the chances of that I mean it's just amazing how it's taken on a life of its own isn't it. Yeah, so, and Peel has their James Bond collection. Uh, Olivar Brown has their uh, their more summary James Bond collection. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, just great stuff out there now. Now there were James Bond clothing lines in the 1960s, but they weren't quite as focused as these ones are now. Well, they also weren't as, if I recall correctly, they weren't nearly as high end as these are now. No, those I think they were mostly low end clothes in the sixties. Yeah, or or middle of the road for lack of a better way of saying. I wanted to say you can get this you could get this stuff at Sears or something. I mean it wasn't it wasn't cut rate, but it certainly wasn't luxury either. No. Um, you're right though, now that I think about it, there were there were a couple of things. Um Yeah, I want to talk some more about that as we uh, as we continue. Because I'm really interested in learning learning more about your work on that. But uh, I thought we'd go from uh, 
one composer named John to another one and uh, get into a, a, a film called The Empire Strikes Back and the music of John Williams. You had chosen a cue from that called uh, Rescue from Cloud City Hyperspace. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, on uh, including this in your list of favorite cues. So, to me, The Empire Strikes Back is just one long piece of music. Most film scores I think of as long, long piece of music. They all have all the pieces have to work together. So it's it's all just very. It was very difficult for me to choose just one cue from The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> and, and even this cue was too long to send you the whole thing. So I I had to give you. Um, an excerpt of it because it's it's so long. Wow. But I just listened to the entire score. It's just about the same length as the entire film, and it's just just it's just one long journey. It's I mean the whole score is basically an opera or a ballet. It's it's more than a symphony. So it's it's a tremendous piece of work, and um, I think just I I mean this is one of my favorite scores just because of how much drama from the film comes from the score. When I watched the film, well, I, one thing I, I can remember is I, I saw this clip online of The Empire Strikes Back without the music. It was before, I think it was, it might have been a video of, of John Williams watching it. Mm-hmm. And there's no feeling in, in the scene at all. Isn't it amazing? No, yeah, there's, it was, there's it, nothing. It, it's flat when you watch it like that. And it's, you wouldn't think it would be, even an action sequence like what you're saying. Just, Everything in the film, I think, would be flat without this music. Yeah. I would encourage anyone, if you ever have a chance to see a rough cut that maybe doesn't have the score mixed in yet, it uh, it, it is just kind of interesting to really give an appreciation for what that what that score can do in terms of adding to the flavor of the movie. Yeah, I, I think, well, you know, I think that with this film, I think John Williams is the main is, is the main artist here and the images that just accompany the music. <laughs> it may have been a more like a, a concert of John Williams music and oh by the way we have these images we'll be playing in the background <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I, uh, I feel like that yeah let's let's have a listen to this again this is from the Empire Strikes Back the cue is called Rescue from Cloud City Hyperspace it's an excerpt from that and it's written by the maestro John Williams <laughs>
perhaps this is the wrong time to bring up this question because of what you had just mentioned prior to playing the previous cue, but I guess I'll ask it in a leading way because it's how I feel, but I don't know if you feel the same way. Is, is Sometimes is there too much music in films today? I think there can be, but so when we, with Star Wars, it's all about the music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I feel like when you don't have music in that, it, you feel like you're lacking something. I mean, mm-hmm. most of Star Wars is pretty much wall to wall music. Yeah. There are only very few moments without any music. But a lot of a lot of composers, I think, don't have the ability to do that kind of score. They they can't score everything. And often you don't want to score everything, especially when you have a scene with a lot of sound effects. We have that in a lot of James Bond scenes when you have like a, a fight scene where you have a lot of those just the, the punching sounds, all, all the different sounds, gunshot sounds. Those can those can be a score all on their all you know, all on their own, and you don't need mm. the music. Yeah, it doesn't all in some cases doesn't need the enhancement of a score, or or you can start. That's one thing I liked about. Uh, about Barry's choices, he didn't always, uh, you know, fill the soundtrack up with with wall to wall sound, wall to wall score for a lot of his movies. A lot of times, he was very economical with his choices. Now, I'm sure part of that's the director as well, but he certainly had a had a say in it. And uh, but that's why I was kind of curious if, given the fact that you had almost wall to wall score in the in that film you were just talking about, I wonder if I'm trying to think if you know of an example of where maybe it was overused. I can't think of one myself offhand, but I think in some of the more recent James Bond films, music might be overused. Yeah, that's be- a good point. Yeah. Because in James Bond, when you don't have music, you feel I think I think it feels more realistic in a lot of the scenes, because you're not expecting emotion, you're not expecting you're not expecting to feel anything. It's not they're not that dramatic, um, mm-hmm. but you you just really just want the realism of of the fight scene or something like that. Star Wars is not realistic at all. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I think in Star Wars, it's okay to have music all the time. You're not, you're not going to get yeah. any, any aspect of realism from the lack of music. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. The, um, I love the fact that you chose a piece uh, from this film, which shocked me. I didn't know if anybody even knew about the music in this film. I'm talking about the 1985 film uh, The Falcon and the Snowman, and you uh, you chose a piece uh, called The Falcon. It's written by Pat Metheny and Lyle Mays. I, I, I've I've always liked a lot of the music in this in this film. I particularly just for some reason love the end titles. It's not called that on the CD. It's called something else. But uh, tell us a little bit about because that's a little bit of an unusual choice from the other ones. How did they? I, I think I already know what the answer is going to be, and it starts with J. But tell me a little bit about. Why you think that that was amongst your list of favorites? So, yeah, Pat Metheny and Lyle Mays are some of my favorite jazz musicians, jazz composers. I think Lyle mm-hmm. Mays is an incredible composer. He's written so much great music. He, they, they've they scored a few films separately. This is, I think, the only film that they scored together. Mm-hmm. They, they've, they used to work a lot together. But Lyle Mays has sadly retired from music now. But so this this song... I think it's probably my favorite from the score, and I had to include it just because these two, um, these two musicians are just some of my favorite, and uh, this this was just a way to bring that part of me um, into this podcast. Okay, well, let's uh, 
Let's have a listen to this. This, again, is from the film The Falcon and the Snowman. The cue is called The Falcon, and it's written by Pat Metheny and Lyle Mays.
know, I'm I'm curious. Going back to the uh, your work with the style and uh, fashion clothing of James Bond, how is it that you guys you'll you'll see a still or a a, a two second two second blurb on a trailer, and somehow through all kinds of research and close up photography and zooming in and all that sort of you guys figure out who the brand is and and give all kinds of details so people can instantly run out to the stores and see if they can find it. I mean, how does that work? Is Are you kind of a, a part of that crew, or are there like a whole bunch of people around the world that are kind of really good at that and research it? I mean, you, you know what I'm asking? Oh, yeah. There are a lot of people that are much better than me at, at identifying um, a clothing item from a certain brand. I, I'm more about identifying the, the details that make a suit or a tie or a shirt very special. But these guys, there are a lot of guys out there. There's a uh, great Instagram um, channel called What's Daniel Wearing? Mm, I've heard of and, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he's he looks at everything Daniel Craig wears. He's great at finding the brands that, that Daniel Craig is wearing. A lot of it just is being familiar with what's out there. And there's probably more out there now than there's ever been in terms of uh, clothing. There's just so many clothing brands. But these aren't your... You know, Walmart, Kohl's department store type brands. I mean, I was shocked when, uh, you know, I, when I, and I'm talking about maybe a year or two ago when I started to find guys and and other sites and things like that. And oh wow, yeah, it would be neat to get this piece of clothing. Let me take a look. Oh, okay, don't think I'll be able to get that one. I mean, I these are luxury brands, folks, that we're talking about. Um, have you gotten that kind of a reaction from other people too? I mean, I'd love to be able to get some of it, but my gosh, I mean, that's, you know, a, a simple like fall jacket might, might run you 700 to a thousand dollars. I mean, these, you know, it's just crazy. Yeah. I mean, the guy was a civil servant. I servant. I'm still trying to figure out how James could afford all that stuff. <laughs> well, he does have family money. He, uh, he, uh, makes, a lo- uh, he makes a lot of money gambling. That's true. That's he he true. always he always wins, doesn't he? That's right. Yeah, I never thought of that. I guess that all goes into clothing. <laughs> yeah, and cars <laughs> and all and and all the drinks. Well, I know the car is probably government issue and that sort of thing. And you know, he's got not an expense all, account for the drinks, but I but I I do wonder about the clothes. I mean, it really is. These are luxury brands we're talking about. Yeah. So most of the fans everything from the socks and the shoes to the belts and. <laughs> Yeah, most fans of James Bond clothing, I think, understand that you know, that James Bond likes to wear the best. But I think there's been a little more backlash to brands like um, Bar Brown and N. Peel creating a very expensive James Bond line. Cause these they're 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 selling James Bond quality clothes at James Bond prices. <laughs> and probably still being successful, as far as I mean, I don't know. I don't have any sales no, figures. They're very successful. Yeah. So there's there's nothing to encourage them to uh, lower the price points anytime soon, I don't think. But I, I don't know if it was you or I think there's someone else that actually speciali- specializes in try, trying to identify similar items from other brands that don't cost as much. Is is that yeah. you or someone else? Or? No, no, that's John at Iconic Alternatives. He does an amazing job at finding uh, more affordable brands for people like us. Well, let's yeah. let's get into a final bonus track. I'll call it today. Um, lo and behold, you had also chosen another John Barry Q from a different movie um, called *The Living Daylights*. 
And the cue is called uh, The Sniper Was a Woman. And when I think about your other choices and what you've liked about certain things, this one it, well, doesn't surprise me per se, but it doesn't to me sound like some of the others that you've chosen. So I'd be curious as to why you have this on your list of favorites. Yeah, The, the Living Daylights is my favorite James Bond score. I think John Barry's final James Bond score is, is his best. He, mm. yeah, it has It has a lot of melodic themes in it. He wrote a lot of you know, unique music for this film. Um, I'm not a big fan of the drum machine that he that he uses throughout a lot of it, but mm-hmm. it doesn't. It, I I guess it, it definitely has a, a unique feel, and uh, I, I still appreciate it. But this this track, it's from one of my favorite scenes in the whole Bond series. That might have something to do with it, but I, I really do like the music as well on its own. I think he, uh, I think Barry came up with a really interesting sound for this. It's one of his more classical sounding cues, mm. and that I appreciated about it as well. And it's interesting you mentioned the drum machine. I think he was always quick to try to uh, uh, adapt new technology, sometimes yeah. quicker than than other people were. And I, I don't know. I think this is probably just another example of him bringing in something that wasn't being used a lot because he he liked experimenting. So, right. But we, I say, like Jerry Goldsmith was probably the leader in bringing new technology True. to uh, film music. John Barry did it on occasion, but that that makes that really that that drum machine makes Living Daylights really stand out from all other scores from that era for him because he he um, was mostly doing more classical type sounds mm-hmm. from the 80s and 90s. Yeah, you think about it, this is the uh, what, what a year or two after Out of Africa, so yeah, just to show the contrast there. Well, let's have a listen to this. Again, the uh, uh, the cue is from the 87 film The Living Daylights. It's called The Sniper Was a Woman, and it's written by the maestro John Barry.
So what's um what's in the future, Matt? What do you, where do you see uh, your website and your podcast going? Any kind of big plans that you want to tell us about, or or things that you're thinking about moving forward? No, no big plans, but I just want to keep things going. Really uh, ramp up things for the new, you know, for you know for the release of the new Bond film. There's a lot of interest with the new Bond film. It always uh, helps me out with my site. A lot more visitors come because they're so excited about Bond. They're more interested in his style. They want to read up to know what he's been up to. Mm-hmm. So. I uh, just want to keep things updated, make sure I keep it going so um, all the visitors that come have something interesting. And you already, I guess, from what I have gathered, there's already some information on the new film concerning fashion and clothing, is there not? There's a lot. Yeah, already. There's a lot of information. Um, We could know about all of his clothes already, or there might be some secret outfits that we haven't even seen yet. It just amazed me when that, it was it a two-minute trailer that came out, and all of a sudden there was a flood of, well, there's this shirt, there's these pants, look at these shoes, and I'm thinking, my gosh, look how quick they all came up with that. It's a, it's really quite something. And then and you do have the podcast as well, so that's – is that any kind of regular schedule, or is it just kind of as things come up, or I find an interesting guest, or how does that work? So We, we have a podcast every other week that we release on uh, Wednesdays. But okay. sometimes there are bonus episodes that come up, and people are always ready to listen to them. And we can it, – it's it's called the From Tailors with Love, right? Yep. And can be found on most podcast providers, I take it? Yeah, iTunes, Stitcher, some other places as well. Okay. And then the uh, uh, the webpage is the suits – is it the suits of jamesbond.com? Um, that will take you there, but the main URL is bondsuits.com. Uh, okay, bondsuits.com. I encourage my listeners uh, to uh, check out both of those. It'll be really interesting. And even if you're not that much into clothing or not that much into James Bond, if you're into at least one of them, you're going to find a lot to be interested in. It's uh, some really great work going on with that, and I think you'll find it interesting. Matt, I can't, uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. I've really enjoyed it and got a, gotten a chance to know you a little bit. And yeah, thank you for having me, Frank. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, that's going to about wrap it up for us here today. Uh, there's only one thing left to say, and that's simply this. My name is Frank R. Wilson. My time's up. I thank you for yours. Thanks for listening to What's the Score?